Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate. This week on Rewind, your week in review. The Republican-led investigation into the 2020 election widens as more subpoenas are issued. We'll discuss how this move suggests Gableman's months-long review doesn't plan on ending anytime soon. Plus, Republican lawmakers introduce a series of law enforcement bills to kick off the new year. And we reflect on the one-year anniversary of the Capitol riot and discuss its lasting effects. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 7th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., Happy New Year. Same to you. All right, well, we're going to kick off uh, the new show and the new year with some breaking news. Um, UW, UW System President Tommy Thompson announced that he is going to be resigning and stepping down from that position. Now, he made this announcement. It's not really a big surprise. We kind of knew he was just going to be interim for a mm-hmm. while. Um, but he, he's a very beloved man um, yeah. by Republicans and Democrats. Uh, we'll kind of hit on some highlights of his entire history here in Wisconsin. He served in the state assembly. He was the longest-serving governor in Wisconsin history. He also served as the Health and Human Services Secretary and, of course, became UW System President July 1 of 2020. Now, this announcement, JR, comes uh, on the same day that a committee is meeting behind closed doors to start selecting some finalists mm-hmm. to replace uh, Tommy Thompson. Talk a little bit about how that uh, process will work out. So the expectation is that they will select the finalists today, notify them, and those finalists will have sometime the next week to get their affairs in order before they are released publicly. Uh, look, uh, with Tommy, we always knew that this was an interim post. He was, as Evan Manadid said, the region president, the right man at the time. Remember, there was a failed search for a replacement for Ray Cross, and Tommy kind of helped the university save face with basically this beloved figure in Wisconsin politics to come lead the university, a university he loves. He's a graduate of the university. It, it's worth noting he has retired. Resignation letter starts with, I love Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> yep. Tommy is the biggest cheerleader for the state I think we've ever seen. But this does two things. One, uh, Tommy leaving, announcing he's leaving now, make sure that there is like this one last round of attention on Tommy Thompson because he gets his well-deserved accolades for stepping up and doing this. And two, this new president, whoever it's going to be, is not going to be in Tommy's shadow when he or she is announced because Tommy's going to be kind of on his way out that helps that process because it's a steep learning curve, you know, and you've got to try and learn that job with Tommy Thompson like over your shoulder. That'd be kind of tough to do. It clears the way for this transition um, and he's graciously leaving now and kind of helping that be a smooth one. And in his uh, letter, he also kind of touted his um, impact on the COVID-19 mm-hmm. crisis. Of course, whoever steps in next, we know the pandemic's not going anywhere, too, so that would be a tough job uh, to tackle whoever the, the next uh, nominee uh, might be. Uh, also, uh, some breaking news that we're going to highlight right now is State Senator Kathy Bernier, a Republican from Chippewa Falls, announced that she will not seek re-election. Now, she is one of the outspoken Republicans that has called for Michael Gableman's election investigation to end. And it was also a few weeks ago she made a Twitter post that said something along the lines that right-wingers are asking me to step down. I'm going to take some time to consider. And right now, just a little few minutes ago, she made the announcement, JR. So what does yeah. this, I guess, mean for the Republican Party as we're seeing a lot, a lot of people not speak out about you know debunking conspiracy theories and et cetera? Well, Bernier was elected the Assembly in 2010. Uh, my impression has been she turned 66 in April, I believe. I think she's been wanting to retire for a long time. I think she was going to announce earlier, 
but this pressure she's received kind of made her say, I'm not going to make you think that you pushed me out the door. It's not because of Michael Gableman or anybody else that she's leaving. She had wanted to do this for a while. In fact, I heard that she was done during the budget process this <laughs> summer, that she'd had enough of this place. Um, it's worth noting that she's the second state senator to say not seeking re-election. Jonathan Bach is the other one. There are now seven members of the assembly who are going to either retire or seek other office. There's an eighth, Samantha Kirkman, running for Kenosha County Executive. Uh, if she wins that office, she would have to resign her assembly seat, but she also may not seek re-election if she, whatever happens in that race, so another possible departure. We're still not in, like, two years ago, we had 20 uh, people either resi- uh, retire or not seek re-election to go run for something else. We're not quite in that ballpark yet, but we're getting that time where people make their decisions and announce what they're going to do. Uh, with Bernier, she's that kind of lone voice out there kind of really raising cane about Republicans spreading disinformation about the 2020 election. Now, also have to note, she's also chided Democrats about 2016, saying you guys talked about Russia, 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 so don't be on your high soapbox with us kind of thing. But she's been a lone voice uh, against, you know, reminding people that, yes, there were issues in 2020, but there wasn't widespread fraud in the election. Mm-hmm. And she's also have, has called on a lot of her Republican colleagues that, hey, you guys, now's the time. Step up, start mm-hmm. speaking um, out about the election conspiracy theories. But she's one of the few that actually yeah. um, does that. Uh, now we're going to move on to kind of a saga <laughs> of uh, the latest in Gableman's investigation. We're going to start kind of with the newest information that, J.R., you actually broke this story first, is that Speaker Voss, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss, uh, signed an extension, more of a verbal yep. an extension, with Michael Gableman, and we knew because by the end of last year, his contract was up, so we didn't know if he was going to get more money, so we're learning a little bit more details that we know for sure he's going to have a few more months uh, to work on this, but Voss requested him to kind of produce some recommendations from his report by February to start drafting legislation before session wraps up. This is a quote from Speaker Voss that he says, as mentioned previously, we never anticipated the number of lawsuits from Democrats to stall the progress of this investigation. A lot of Republicans and Gableman have said, you know, these lawsuits are kind of hampering his entire investigation, that he can't you know, the subpoenas right now are pending in court, whether or not they're going to be valid or not. So um, let's also just read a quick quote from Hintz before we get into this. Uh, Hintz said, it's pretty clear it's not about what this investigation produced. It's about continuing to promote the big lie and have an endless investigation that implies that there was wrongdoing and to fan the flames to make insinuations that flat out have been proven wrong. So, uh, JR, like I kind of started off this topic, you broke broke this story first. I mean, no surprise here, right, that we knew it was going to go on much longer. No, so a couple things. The original contract was signed in June between Gable and Voss. There was an amendment signed in August. There wasn't actually an end date in the language of those two documents, but there was this budget that we got that had a, a little note that said the funding ran through December 31st of 2021. So I am not a contract attorney, but what Gable's office told me was the original contract included a provision allowing them to reach this verbal agreement to extend it. So now the questions I have are, it's going to be extended. Robin wants these recommendations by February. He didn't say like when he wants it to be done. Mm-hmm. So when is this going to wrap up? Let's go with the timeline. We're waiting for Judge Lanford from Dane County to issue her ruling about the subpoenas. Um, the Elections Commission, we have a briefing hearing in January 21st on the whole thing about trying to detain the mayors of Green Bay and Madison unless they comply. Briefing schedule means weeks of briefs. That'll take us well past February. There is going to be a, well, the latest depositions or subpoenas to the Elections Commission are February 18th, I think, for a deposition. I'm running out of breath because there's so many things going on in the yeah. next couple of months that mean we're not going to be done by 
the end of February with this entire thing. So the question is, okay, will Gavlin have another interim report, which he gave us in December, and then continue his, his work, or will this actually wrap up at some point sometime soon? And, you know, how much more money does he have? I think the last committee hearing, uh, or like not committee hearing, well, committee hearing, excuse me, where he testified, he kind of gave us a little bit of insight of how much he has left, but it remains to be seen of where he'll spend that. Galen's office told me that they, uh, there's a, an appropriation of the $676,000, there's three hundred twenty-five grand for basically a the cyber forensic audit part of this whole thing, right? What Republicans be calling for, some Republicans calling for, um, they have not spent the bulk of that, they told me. So that's still there to be, they're trying to find the person who can do this analysis. So we know that's still there. I don't know if they have the power to move money around because it was just a kind of an outline budget. I don't know if he's bound by that. But uh, yeah, does, he has said before he may seek more money. The question is how much and will Republicans be able to give it to him? And, you know, we kind of leaded the show that we have no idea when this investigation is going to end. And we know that the, his investigation is widening because this week he also issued even more subpoenas. Now, he, those were uh, issued to the State Elections Commission and some municipal IT departments. And Gabelin is seeking, once again, testimony, meet at my private office in Brookfield behind closed doors. He wants emails, information about voting machines and records related to specific voters. City officials in Madison and Green Bay, their IT departments were also served. And Gableman's requesting from those officials voting machine serial numbers, information related to software updates on computers, and any communication with Dominion voting systems. But both cities don't actually use Dominion. So when I spoke to Ann Jacobs about this, uh, she once again, it's not, you know, a lot of these officials have called these very broad. She once again looks through these, say these are bizarre. In a direct quote, she says, it's as if they have no idea how to craft a subpoena to actually look for anything. I'm just perplexed by it. And the nature of that quote is because he's seeking thousands, potentially, once again, millions of documents because it's any and all information between you know, I think we have almost over 100 and, uh, or one, over 1,800 election officials in Wisconsin, and Ann Jacobs was telling me that he wants communication between all of them, dating back all the way from January 2020 is what Gableman wants. Yeah, I mean, their government records, the question is, is there anything that's too broad? If it's a government investigation of a government agency, is there anything too broad that came up during a hearing last month uh, on some separate subpoenas? So I'm watching that. Also, do we see challenges, again, the grounds of these depositions supposed to be in private at a, an office in Brookfield versus in front of the Assembly Committee, that ruling in that uh, the original WEC um, subpoenas, that may have a, shed a great deal of light on how this is going to proceed going forward and whether these guys are going to his office and talk to him or he's required to do it in front of a committee. And uh, with these latest subpoenas, Ann Jacobs, who is uh, the chairwoman of WEC, also said she believes these subpoenas are, in a sense, just a tactic to make it seem like Gableman's investigation, like he's doing work and wants to prolong it. Uh, and we've talked about kind of maybe the potential Republican strategy there is that they don't want to produce a report because they don't want to disappoint voters who really want them to reveal some findings about this. Also, the other headline this week with Gableman's election investigation is that the Green Bay mayor is seeking sanctions against Gableman. Uh, he wants a judge to issue sanctions against Gableman for mischaracterizing him in newspaper ads. Now, his attorney, Jeffrey Mandel, asked a Waukesha County Circuit Judge uh, to force Gableman to publish a full-page ads in a handful of Wisconsin newspapers, acknowledging that he had made inaccurate statements about how the Green Bay's mayor responded to the election review. This comes after Gableman was testifying in front of lawmakers on the Assembly Elections Committee and called out the Green Bay mayor saying, hey, he's not cooperating, but 
and this is what happened, I guess, shortly afterwards. So the rub is that Green Bay hired private attorneys to basically handle this entire situation. They say that they, for Gablin's office, you should contact us and us alone. Gablin's office sent communications, according to this complaint, to the city attorney, um, who was not supposed to be communicating with them about this stuff because they hired somebody else. The city attorney, who was leaving that job, says that she found the emails in her spam filter as she was preparing to leave for another position within the city government. They notified the Gablin office, they say, of the situation, and even though they notified them, hey, we won, turn over 20,000 records or so, whatever it was, um, your initial request for documents. Two, we told you to talk to our private attorney. You didn't. Three, we found this. We want to let you know we found this. He still went and filed the writ seeking to have the mayor detained unless he complies the test. So Mm -hmm. that's been an interesting situation. Now, don't forget, Gablin's own attorneys have said we might file, (laughs) seek sanctions against you guys for this. Again, this is a ongoing legal battle that I'm not sure when it's going to wrap up, but again, a sign of it's not going to be done by the end of February unless there's major, major movement in how this thing is progressing. And uh, the attorney representing the Green Bay mayor is also asking Gableman to be fined and take at least three hours of continuing education classes on legal ethics and to no longer have contact with Green Bay officials. Um, the next uh, topic we're going to talk about is it a development related to Gableman's investigation is that Speaker Voss is going to be compelled to testify. That was at least the ruling from a Dane County judge that ordered Voss to sit down for a deposition with the attorneys for the liberal watchdog group American Oversight. The group is seeking records related to Gableman's investigation to kind of just get their own updates of of what he's looking into. Um, The quote from the judge is that the citizens of the state of Wisconsin deserve the truth. Either these records exist and they're being improperly withheld or they don't exist. So kind of just another transparency, um, uh, you know, court case here, as many people even in the public kind of just want to know what Gableman is doing. American Oversight has filed three lawsuits now, seeking records. They've filed multiple open records requests. They're arguing that they're not being fulfilled properly. This is a chance to grill Robin Voss over Zoom, but privately we can't watch it, um, about what he did to try and find these records, as well as uh, one of his staff attorneys, Mr. Fawcett, to see what they did to look, look for records and if they did a, a sufficient search for them, essentially, and if there's anything else out there. And uh, we want to just kind of give people a recap of what happened while we were on holiday break is what happened in court on December 23rd, mm-hmm. Christmas Eve Eve. Um, now, this is the court case that by Monday, at least, um, a Dane County judge is expected to make a ruling whether or not Gableman subpoenas issued compelling uh, the WEC um, administrator, Megan Wolf, to testify whether those subpoenas are valid. And it's really going to, I guess, give us a, a taste into the future of whether these subpoenas are mm-hmm. going to be upheld or not. Uh, so what happened there is, just to recap, uh, the Wisconsin Department of Justice is representing Wolf, and they're requesting a restraining order, arguing Gableman lacks the authority to force Wolf to testify in private instead of the Assembly Elections Committee. Now, attorneys for Gableman, they filed a motion on that day to dismiss the lawsuit and argued Gableman is operating under the authority of the legislature's Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Election. Let's hear a recap of that court case and the arguments from both sides. This case, uh, it's our position, uh, should not have needed to have been filed. Uh, the statutes that govern the subpoenas here uh, are uh, particularly clear. Uh, in what they require, and they require that any testimony to be taken by the legislature must be uh, before a legislative committee or before that body. 
and this is uh, 1331 that we've discussed uh, in the briefing. Uh, it was our hope uh, upon receiving these subpoenas that uh, this defect um, in the subpoenas could be resolved um, amicably uh, before resorting uh, to the court. If these subpoenas were sought to be enforced, uh, as they are in Waukesha County and other places, uh, they can defend. Now, that defense is based upon a two-thirds vote of, of, the, uh, of the agency, all right? Because it may very well be that uh, at least a half of the, of the commission wants the agency to comply with the subpoena. Well, that's all they have to do is comply with the subpoena and understand these are not personal documents of the administrator or any person involved. These are government documents of a government agency in conducting government business that they don't want to disclose. We're going to move on from the Gableman investigation and turn to Assembly Republicans and Senators are also introducing this week a law enforcement package of bills that really just aims at recruiting and retaining police officers. As Republicans are saying that they have, uh, as of last year, there was the lowest number of officers on our streets um, in over a decade. Now, we knew going into this legislative session that Republicans kind of want to focus a little tough on crime stuff and focus on law enforcement as well. So this was kind of their kicking off the new year with this legislative package. We'll re recap some of them. It would basically use ARPA funding to offer cash incentives, implement grant programs, prohibit no-knock search warrants, and teach children how to interact with law enforcement. Um, and before we get into some, I guess, the opposition from uh, Representative uh, Gordon Hintz, uh, let's hear from the presser itself and kind of Republicans' pitch on their package. Recruiting and retention are down because... We went through a pendulum where people said it was no longer honorable to be a police officer or a sheriff's deputy, which is absolutely crazy to me. The heroic things that I've witnessed in my career that men and women do for the good of someone else, and in the past two years to have them condemned, this is a very positive step in the right direction for the state to say that we value the men and women that serve in law enforcement. We would like to find a way to help you recruit, would like to help you find a way to retain, help to find the small agencies pay for equipment. Uh, so it's an extremely complex issue, but this is a great step in the right direction. If people are not happy with the law enforcement services that they receive today, allow the recruiting and retention issues to continue to get worse. And then we'll have the conversation in five years and see if your happiness is worse or better. Uh, Representative Bourne says the total package is going to cost about $25 million, uh, in ARPA funding. He says he's confident that COVID-19 relief uh, could be used for this purpose. Uh, and he also kind of resisted, as some Democrats are saying, well, why not use the state surplus? You have so much access there to, you know, use that and spend it on your priorities. Yet this is another 
a you know package of bills that they're requesting. Hey, governor, let's use this for this. But we we know the record there that the governor doesn't want to give Republicans any victories per se or sign any of their legislation because he has full control over these federal funds. This is more messaging than anything else. I don't know if the federal government would allow the ARPA money to be used for law enforcement recruitment, essentially. But you have this kind of roundabout round-around argument between Republicans and Democrats of we have a surplus. There's more than a billion bucks sitting there in the general fund, or will be at the end of this biennium, according to projections. There's $1.7 billion almost in the day fund. We have general purpose revenue spent on priorities. The issue, though, is the federal government requires you to qualify for the federal COVID money for schools to maintain your, your share of spending on K-12 educa- well, education to get that K-12 money. Every dollar you spend on anything from general purpose of general purpose revenue to spend more money on education. It increases the cost significantly. So Democrats say spend state tax dollars. Republicans say that's too expensive because of what the federal government did. Let's spend ARPA. Democrats say, well, you've got all the state money. Why don't you spend it on that? No, by the way, the governor says he's allocated the ARPA money to where he wants it to go. He hasn't spent all of it. Mm -hmm. Another chunk comes in next year, but he says he's allocated it. So he's not gonna give them any kind of say so in how it's spent. Besides these bills, we had another one this week that wasn't part of the crime package that would give community uh, grants f- uh, from ARPA to address carjacking, essentially. Also remember, at the end of December, there was a move to uh, give prison guards a pay increase, right? But not as much as Evers wanted to give them, again, through state tax dollars. Mm-hmm. There's another bill introduced this week that would use ARPA money to pay for prison guard raises. Again, if you do that, and here's the other thing about this whole debate, if you use ARPA money now on ongoing expenses, you create a problem in the next budget because you are committing a level of spending, right, that if the ARPA money goes away, you have to fill that gap with state dollars. So the next budget becomes more tougher. Now, the prison guard bill, the raises would not be permanent, so it wouldn't have that issue. But other things, if it's an ongoing expense, you're causing an issue in the next budget by using federal money to do these things. Uh, and I'm sure this won't be the last uh, legislation that we'll see. Republicans mm-hmm. probably drafting saying, hey, let's use some of this federal funds for this like and that and that. They feel like they've got a great issue in law and order because mm-hmm. the Walker Shaw Christmas Parade, um, they're talking about bail. Bail reform. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're looking at the protest of Black Lives Matter and saying that the whole social justice thing has moved away and now they're really on the high ground when it comes to law and order. So they're going to hammer this issue and Evers got to have a good answer for it because it's going to come up in the campaign this fall. Uh, And also this week, we uh, had the one-year anniversary of the January attack at the U.S. Capitol. We heard, I mean, a lot of people were speaking out about it, not so much from Republicans, uh, but a lot of Democrats and a lot of Democrats who are running um, in this year, we can finally say. Not in 2022. We are in 2022. So um, let's just hear from uh, two Democrats, uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin and Representative Mark Pocan. Uh, Mark Pocan kind of had this media availability, and then Senator Baldwin spoke on the floor on the anniversary on Thursday. That disgraceful day led to the deaths and injuries of brave people in uniform, creating lasting scars for countless members of our community. We have colleagues who have inexplicably and falsely said the violent mob was a group of mere tourists. My Republican counterpart from the great state of Wisconsin even called January 6th a peaceful protest. We must all condemn this insurrection in no uncertain terms, as well as the big lie 
about the 2020 election. That day you saw people of all political stripes saying the same thing. Uh, they were outraged. Uh, they were trying to actually have the president call off his troops. It was a day that, that we were unified. And at the end of the day, um, it failed. Uh, the attempted coup uh, failed. That day could have been something that really unified this country around how important our republic is to everyone, regardless of political party. Unfortunately, what's occurred uh, has been um, just the opposite. It's important to note a year ago uh, on January 6th, uh, all 10 members of Wisconsin's congressional delegation did condemn the attack, but it was their statements afterwards that kind of changed. You know, we saw Congressman Mike Gallagher uh, call it banana republic crap. Uh, and for Senator Ron Johnson, he did condemn it, um, but then he kind of said he didn't believe it was an arm insurrection, called that false. Uh, the statement that we got was from his uh, senior communications advisory on the anniversary that said Senator Ron Johnson immediately and repeatedly condemned the violence that occurred. He believes the American people deserve a full and accurate account of what happened. Uh, the, the spokesperson kind of gave a detailed account of how Johnson is trying to investigate on, on his own what happened, but of course there is a bipartisan uh, select committee that is in charge of investigating what happened on January 6th. Um, some other uh, prominent Democrats Democrats that we heard from was Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, who is seeking to unseat Ron Johnson, which is unclear if he's running again. Uh, uh, Mandela, Mandela Barnes said, this isn't a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an issue of respecting and defending the fundamental values of our country in which it was founded on. It is an issue of patriotism. So, you know, no surprise that we didn't hear much from Republicans, mm -hmm. but Democrats really just kind of spoke about the lasting impacts of January 6th and what we'll have on our future elections. Republicans want to move on and focus on Joe Biden and the problems that he's having because that is fertile territory for this fall for them to um, bring up and, and run on. Um, worth noting that Sarah Godlewski started a digital ad hitting Ron Johnson because while he, you know, a spokesperson said, Ron Johnson also made comments basically saying that he saw some good there are the people who uh, stormed the Capitol that they love their country and they didn't think they would commit a crime. Um, as a digital ad hitting him on that. Brad Paff, who's running for Congress in the 3rd District, he's knocking Derek Van Orden. Because remember, Van Orden was, on the, was at the rally that preceded the uh, charging of the Capitol. He has said that he left before people went to the building that, or when the craziness began, and he was not on the grounds. There's a picture that suggests he was on the grounds, but not in the building. Anyway, the fact that he was there, used campaign funds to pay to get there, that's going to be an issue for him. Repub uh, Democrats want to disqualify Van Orden as a candidate because of that. I don't know if these events are going to be that big a deal this fall for voters. I mean, they're, people totally vote on their, tax, their pocketbook, right? How they feel about their job, their taxes, the kids' education, the environment, if it's going well for them, you know, how they feel about things. I don't know how this issue plays this fall. Or people go, you know what, that's too much for me that this person was at this rally that preceded what happened. And we also saw from Alex Lazary, a Democrat mm -hmm. running for U.S. Senate, he, on the eve of January 6th, released his own plan to kind of strengthen American democracy. Galuski, like you mentioned, kind of launched a digital ad also calling out Ron Johnson. So we only have a few minutes uh, left, JR. Let's uh, get to stock picks. Rising this week, um, Brian Blanchard and Thomas Mm. Ruse. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so, look, uh, two appeals court judges unopposed for new six-year terms on the ballot. Uh, they were also unopposed six years ago, ran last time. It's no surprise, really. Between 2016 and 2021, only two of the 12 appeals court races that had incumbent justice judges were challenged. So it's just another free pass for them. Look, these are sometimes difficult races to find challenges for because 
They're not very high profile. Other than Milwaukee County-based first district, they're all multiple county districts. And it's really a, diff a different kind of judgeship. You are basically reading legal briefs and researching law more than you are having oral arguments or like running a courtroom. For some people, it's like a stepping stone to the Supreme Court or to run for the Supreme Court, but it's a different kind of judge and sometimes we just don't want to do the job. So you see a lot of people unopposed for another, another term. And uh, mixed is former Congressman Sean Duffy, who yes. formally announced that he is not going to be uh, seeking a run for governor. And we talked on the show before. We He basically went radio silence mm -hmm. after President John, Donald Trump uh, tapped him, saying, hey, run, Sean, run. This is not a surprise. I mean, I talked to him. He said he took the holidays to talk to his family and pray about the decision and go through, like, the logistics of it. He felt like he could run and build a campaign, but... You're talking about he's got nine kids. A lot of them, the youngest one is two years old. Um, a lot of them are in school in New Jersey now because they have moved to New Jersey. His wife, Rachel Campos Duffy, is hosting a weekend show on Fox News. Sean Duffy is working in a lobbying firm, also doing uh, being a contributor at Fox News, fills in for Tucker Carlson once in a while. They've got a nice gig going. Yeah, he's busy. <laughs> it's not just the idea of kind of any, they still got a cabin up north. I mean, residency's not a problem. It is the issue of uprooting your family, moving back to Wisconsin, his school, running a campaign, governing, he said, and being away from them for some period of time to do that. He said his priority is his kids, which you hear a lot from candidates who's passing a run, but there was a serious logistical challenge there. Now, the question is one thing, two things. One, how does this impact the Republican race for the nomination? Rebecca Clayfish is still the only person, high-profile name, who's in the race, who's actually like building a campaign, doing that blocking and tackling, they call it in politics, to win the nomination. Launched her first TV ad this week, although it was like 5,000 bucks on cable, you know, trying to knock Tony Evers about uh, school closings. We have Eric Hovde, Madison businessman. He's still a possible candidate. We have Kevin Nicholson, uh, who ran for U.S. Senate 2018, who's basically said if Ron Johnson doesn't run, he wants to run for Senate. But if Ron Johnson does run, he'll run for governor. We'll see if when Johnson makes that decision, if he actually runs for election, if Nicholson will stick to that. But Who's going to get in? Will anybody else challenge Clayfish? And two, Duffy said, I keep my options open for the future. Well, let's look well, down the road. doesn't say that, though. Yeah. <laughs> look down the road. Uh, the first obvious one is 2024 for U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. Well, Tammy Baldwin, um, I know some Republicans like to kind of like dismiss her or underestimate her, but she is a really good fundraiser. She is really good at working the state and is a very solid campaigner. Even, even if Democrats have a tough year in 24. She's proven she can ra rise above the top of the ticket and run a pretty good campaign. That's not an easy task. Um, for governor, you're talking 2026 at the earliest, right? And that's assuming that Evers wins re-election. Otherwise, you're talking 2030 or 34. There are not many obvious lanes right now for to get back to Wisconsin politics by passing this bid this year. All right, and uh, quickly we'll do falling is Evie's, excuse me, <laughs> Governor Evers' uh, cabinet appointees because you uh, spoke to Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemahue to, uh, this week for an interview and says, well, we might not take up many of those. They're not going to do, they're not planning to do any of the uh, nominees to the Board of Regents for UW System, the Tech College System Board, or the DNR Board. Now, the DNR Board, not a big deal because Frederick Prane, who was a Walker appointee, has not left, even though his term ended in May. He set a precedent saying you can continue to serve until your successors are confirmed by the Senate. That's kept that board in hands of Walker appointees, 4-3. The Keck College System Board, there are three Walker appointees who have refused to leave their position, though they, their terms are over. That's kind of negated because it's 5-5 five, five Evers and Walker appointees, three Evers-friendly ex-officio members of the board, <laughs> so it's not... The regents, though, 
Of Evers' nine appointments to the Board of Regents, only two have been confirmed. There are seven awaiting confirmation. He now has a 9-7 advantage over Walker points with his picks, right? We have two more Walker picks who come off the board in May if they leave again, right? That's a lot of turnover. So in theory, what, we, what the Republican thinking is, if a Clayfish or whomever beats Evers in November, in January of 23, you can rescind all of the appointments that are not confirmed and replace them with your picks. You're talking about the entire, I mean, Flipping, half yeah. the board repl- mm-hmm. even flipped. Now, I'm not saying that Clayfish or anybody else will do that for sure. The opportunity, though, is there to do that. Now, one challenge is they're looking for a new president right now, a new chancellor at Madison. These candidates are going in knowing that they might have a different board that they're working for come January 23, depending on how this plays out. I don't know it'll be a factor for those candidates, but you've got to at least think about it, who your bosses are going to be when it's all said and done. So. All right. Well, we, re- we recapped <laughs> quite a bit this week, and I think we fit it right within our time limit. So for now, uh, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.